You are listening to Veterinary Vertex, a podcast of the AVMA journals. In this episode, we chat about antibiograms as one health tools for antimicrobial stewardship with our guests, Heather Fritz and Catherine Lorenz. Welcome to Veterinary Vertex. I'm Editor-in-Chief Lisa Fortier, and I'm joined by Associate Editor Sarah Wright. Today, we have Heather and Catherine joining us. Heather and Catherine, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy day and your work and your profession and your personal lives to be with us here today. Great to be here. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for having us. Heather, your current in One Health manuscript in JAVMA discusses antibiograms as One Health tools for antimicrobial stewardship. Can you explain to our listeners what antibiograms are? Sure. An antibiogram represents a cumulative summary of results of antimicrobial susceptibility tests. Those are over a defined period of time, and that is usually a year. They are specific to a bacterial organism, a host species, and also a disease condition and or a body site. Uh, as an example, we have generated clinical antibiograms for bovine respiratory disease organisms. An antibiogram for Mannheimia hemolytica would show the percentage of Mannheimia hemolytica isolates um, tested over a one-year time frame that were susceptible to each of the drugs tested in the panel. Those isolates would have come from respiratory sites from cattle with respiratory disease. Optimally, an antibiogram would have at least 30 different isolates over that one-year time frame and would be comprised of isolates that were covered from a defined population. Um, that may be a hospital practice. It could be a specific region. And when we're speaking of livestock species, that might be a production type, like dairy or beef cattle in a particular region. Um, antibiograms are widely used in human hospital settings, both to guide empiric treatment decisions, but also to monitor um, trends in susceptibility or resistance in that population. So an antibiogram can be useful as a tool for antimicrobial stewardship programs, um, but we always emphasize that it should not replace aerobic culture and testing on individual animals for susceptibility. Thank you for that nice disclaimer. It's good for our clinicians listening to know. So Heather, what are some of the important findings from this study? Well, we uh, started this study really wanting to, for ourselves, establish a framework and procedure for generating veterinary antibiograms. And we wrote this manuscript to share our approach with the veterinary community to promote antibiograms as a One Health tool for stewardship programs. Um, to do it, we utilized antimicrobial susceptibility test data from clinical samples that we received here at my lab at the California Animal Health and Food Safety Lab in Davis. Um, and we followed the guidelines that were established by the Clinical and Laboratory Standards Institute to the best of our ability to produce these clinical antibiograms. We also consulted with a panel of experts. Uh, those included veterinary clinicians, uh, microbiologists, and research faculty to determine what the format and the content of the antibiograms would look like to be most useful for them. And this actually led to the development of three different types of antibiograms. So ultimately we prepared one that we refer to as a simple antibiogram that reports only the percentage of isolates that were susceptible to each drug. 
Um, we made a second one that people thought would be handy as kind of a quick reference tool that is a graphic graphical, sorry, bar chart illustration. Again, just showing percent susceptibility. But then we also developed a third that many thought would be useful because it provided additional information that we refer to as our detailed antibiogram. And that has also the distribution of MIC values for each isolate we tested, along with the breakpoints for classifying an organism as susceptible, intermediate, or resistant. And then we also portrayed the percent susceptible, intermediate, and resistant for all of those isolates. Um, so in the process, we encountered several challenges um, and limitations, I would say, to developing these livestock antibiograms. And one of the most significant is that there just aren't very many breakpoints available for veterinary species, um, in particular livestock animals. Um, as most know, breakpoints are established using a combination of microbiologic characteristics, pharmacokinetic and pharmacodynamic data, or PKPD data, and um, clinical outcome studies. Uh, so many of the interpretations used for livestock species, because these studies are lacking, are actually extrapolated either from other animals, like dogs, where we have more data, or from um, human breakpoints. So I would say that one of the most important findings was that there remains a really significant need for additional studies and data to develop breakpoints specific to veterinary species. And that will help us to ensure that the AST data that we use is optimally um, applied to the animal it's being uh, informing. The, in the process of developing the antibiograms, we also were looking to the clinical history data provided because optimally we would select samples that um, were submitted before antimicrobial use and um, were from animals that had disease and not necessarily for surveillance purposes. And we discovered that many of our submission forms are really lacking in that level of data. Um, um, so most importantly, the most important finding of this study was that veterinarians in California were eager to access the antibiograms. They wanted to learn more about how to interpret antibiograms and how to utilize antimicrobial susceptibility data and antibiograms in particular to practice judicious use of antimicrobials. And so we will continue to update our antibiograms and make them available to licensed veterinarians in California as a part of our stewardship program. Yeah, thank you, Heather. You know, for either one of you can answer this question. One of the criticisms about antibiograms, and you could even say perhaps wellness approaches, because each region, each area has a different pressure on, you know, is it equine shortages or emergency critical care, that sort of thing. What do you say to the critics that say, well, you you pointed out, Heather, some take-home messages. We need more information. We need better histories. But what can I in Ithaca, New York, learn from your UC Davis Regional California antibiogram? And you could say that you, you said earlier, well, you need one for a region. It could be a private practice. And we commonly get from reviewers, we commonly get that doesn't have any practical application because it's too regional. What would either one of you say to those critics? I think one of the really valuable aspects to publishing regional antibiograms and making those available, even though they may not apply to 
um, patients or animals outside of that region. So it's also very useful information to compare patterns of susceptibility or resistance across regions. And that may inform treatment decisions or management decisions, even antimicrobial usage patterns. Yeah, it's cultural sensitivity, like on the broad scale too, right? What's going on in our whole profession? Uh, so thank you for addressing that. As editors at JABMA and AJVR, when we get those sort of comments, we're like, well, isn't that true about everything, whether it's a bladder stone or <laughs> hoof abscesses or whatever it is, all these things have breed specificity, use, uh, regional. So thank you for uh, adding that into the antibiogram. Uh, Catherine, what sparked your interest, your research interest in antibiograms? Yeah, this is a great question, and I'll give a little bit of background first. So the Antimicrobial Use and Stewardship Program, which is part of the California Department of Food and Agriculture, serves to monitor antimicrobial resistance in livestock species and provide stewardship guidance for veterinarians and producers. And the ultimate goal is to preserve drug efficacy and protect animal and public health. So while we were looking for ways to support veterinary antimicrobial stewardship, we found that antibiograms are regularly used in the human medical field, but they're much less common in veterinary medicine. And so taking a One Health approach, we wanted to explore how antibiograms might be implemented in a veterinary setting. And there's a lot of attention and regulations surrounding antimicrobial use, especially in livestock. And so having a statewide antibiogram is one way to look at overall resistance trends and possibly highlight areas that should be addressed by stewardship programs. And then additionally, antibiograms can be really useful to veterinarians if they are waiting for culture and susceptibility results to come back for a patient because they can inform empiric therapy decisions. And so after diving into the literature on antibiograms, I remember thinking, I wish I had had access to an antibiogram when I was in practice. And here I was with a group of people with the expertise and the data um, to really create these antibiograms for livestock species. And so it was really just a matter of convening the right group of experts and working through some of the obstacles to create and distribute antibiograms to practicing veterinarians and then also to provide guidance to those vets on how to optimally use the antibiograms. There's so much helpful, useful information in there, especially the guidance part that Heather was alluding to earlier. Like every state, every diagnostic lab can really jump on. And, and as Sarah said in, in the opening, uh, we have other antibiogram uh, manuscripts as well. So kudos to all of you for bringing this to the forefront in veterinary medicine. Catherine, what inspired you? You said, like, I wish I had this available, and that's that's fine, but everybody needs to get to the next level. Like, what inspired you to really dig in and get this data and write this manuscript? Yeah, so we realized that it was not common to have an organization create and disseminate veterinary antibiograms for clinical use, and especially for livestock species. So we had a few motivations to create this manuscript. One was to raise awareness of antibiograms as tools for veterinarians to improve their antimicrobial stewardship practices. Another was to highlight um, some of the things that veterinarians should understand and pay attention to when using an antibiogram. And then the third was to spread the word that we had already done some troubleshooting already um, and we wanted to share our process and also some of the limitations that we encountered with other organizations that might be interested in creating similar antibiograms. 
Yeah, well, certainly you and your co-authors, congratulations, you achieved all of those goals. And thank you so much for sharing it with us at JAVMA. Uh, it'll be really important for our readers. What when When you're looking at your manuscript, maybe not what is the most clinically important part, raising awareness, but what was the most surprising thing to you when you were writing your manuscript? Okay, I'll jump in. Uh, as we were writing the manuscript, as you know, this manuscript is written together with the publication in um, AJVR. And so we had a lot of interactions with experts in the field across the United States. And um, I was surprised and also relieved, I would say, to be faced with all the different perspectives on how this data should be used, can be used, what we can do to advance um, usage of antimicrobial development, but also antimicrobial susceptibility um, testing going forward for livestock species. So I discovered that this is and remains a, a challenging area for um, diagnosticians to provide um, very applicable and high quality antimicrobial susceptibility testing, but also with clinical predictions. Um, so I, I was very surprised and excited to see um, what a growing field this is and how exciting it can be to hear all the different um, experiences and perspectives from people who are um, uh, tackling this subject currently. It's great to hear that there's more room for growth because there's always need for more research. I feel like that's always one of the take-home messages from these podcast episodes. It's like, if you want a PhD, we have space for you. (laughs) So you're both very accomplished and we're just so happy to have you with us today. Catherine, how did your advanced training prepare you to write this manuscript? I've held a variety of different jobs within the veterinary field, but I think that they have all served to strengthen my science communication skills which I think was the biggest help when it came to writing this manuscript. And in particular, in my position with the antimicrobial use and stewardship program, I created educational materials about stewardship topics for veterinarians. And I think that experience really helped to ensure that this paper was relevant and easily digestible by an audience of veterinarians. Heather, how did your background and training prepare you to write this manuscript? My experience in clinical practice, also in research and now in diagnostic microbiology, I think has given me a good understanding of the materials presented in the manuscript. I've never felt that writing a manuscript was something that came particularly naturally to me, but as a member of an academic institution, I'm compelled to write manuscripts. And I first learned how to prepare a manuscript during my PhD. Um, But I also realized just how dependent I am on scientific publications to keep current on knowledge and new discoveries. And so honestly, the best preparation, I would say, comes from reading other high quality manuscripts. The give and take, right? It's like we love learning from them, but like you said, you have to contribute as well. So it's definitely a two-sided relationship. Mm -hmm. Yes. Then, Catherine, what is one piece of information the veterinarian should know before discussing this topic with the client? I actually have a few pieces of information that I want people to take away from this paper. Um, Antibiograms can be an excellent tool to improve antimicrobial stewardship, 
but they are only one part of a comprehensive stewardship plan. And they should also always be used in conjunction with the veterinarian's clinical judgment to ensure that therapeutic decisions adhere to legal requirements and really make sense for the patient that's being treated. And then additionally, the user should always understand certain characteristics of the data. So that includes the source population, the body site the samples were taken from, if possible, the number of isolates included in the antibiogram, and the animal species and bacterial organisms for which each breakpoint was developed. And I think the major take-home message from this paper is that antibiograms are most useful when they are developed using data from a population that is as similar as possible to the animal that's being treated. And they should not replace individual culture and susceptibility testing as the cumulative data that's represented in the antibiogram may not reflect the exact bacterial infection and organism recovered from an individual animal. Yeah, thank you. It's really important information to know. And then we're kind of going to flip things around a bit. So on the other side of the equation, what is one piece of information that the client should know about this topic? So if you had to present some information to a client that was easily digestible, what should they know about antibiograms? Um, I, I think it's important to inform the client that while this information can help their veterinarian to make treatment decisions in advance of having culture and susceptibility results, as Catherine already said, it really shouldn't replace aerobic culture and susceptibility, but also in uh, performing those tests on individual animals, that also helps us to build the data set. And so um, as well as hopefully establishing a treatment plan in advance of having additional results, which may um, uh, shorten the the period of um, illness for an animal, um, that data, the clients are also contributing to this body of data by um, in their individual animal susceptibility testing going forward. Yeah, it, as you both have said, it is a give and take and contributing to the veterinary literature takes just that little bit even more effort than already overworked veterinarians and MPH. Uh, so it takes a, a, a whole level of resilience and determination. Catherine, we'll start with you. Where do you think your resilience, determination, inspiration came from? I'm really lucky to have been surrounded by very hardworking family, friends, and coworkers that have all inspired me and encouraged me to accomplish big goals. And my parents especially always told me to pursue a career I was passionate about. So I started out certain that I would work with wildlife, but that morphed into a passion for population-level medicine and a love of infectious disease epidemiology. And so although my career has not quite had that straight-line trajectory that I originally envisioned when I was in vet school, I've really sought opportunities to broaden both my impact and my perspective. And then now more recently, it's my almost two-year-old son who inspires me to keep setting and achieving goals because I want to show him that his mom can do hard things. And I'm hoping that that's going to inspire him someday. That's fantastic. I went to undergraduate because I wanted to be a radio sports broadcaster. And <laughs> then I found that my passion was really biology and chemistry. And, and, and then I ended up in veterinary medicine. And so I, I love that. Follow your passion. Yeah, I often think the the people with the most interesting stories are always somewhere other than where they expected to be. <laughs> For sure. 
Heather, how about you? Where does your resilience and inspiration come from? Uh, quite similar to what Catherine um, shared, but I would say also from a very early age, I was encouraged by my parents and teachers and other mentors to invest in my education. That was really impressed upon me and also to follow my passion. And like many of us who wind up in the veterinary field, there was an, a love for animals at an early age, and that led to my pursuit of an education in veterinary medicine. Um, but that evolved into a very strong interest in infectious diseases and one health. And part of that came from my experiences traveling prior to vet school. Um, as a student, I studied ecology in Costa Rica. And then as soon as I graduated from college, I backpacked around Southern Africa um, before returning to work in a pediatric AIDS clinic. And I think seeing how other people live and the impact of infectious diseases in other parts of the world in particular, that it really inspired me to um, both really invest in that field, but also help me to recognize all the opportunities I'd had. And um, it motivated me to work hard uh, to positively impact both animal and human health. Um, like Catherine said, my career path also has not been linear, and I've had some experiences that people may perceive as setbacks in my career trajectory. But along the way, it's provided me with insights and experiences I wouldn't have had otherwise, and also perspective that has definitely made me more resilient. And I'm extremely grateful for where I am now and the path that brought me here. Very beautifully said by both of you. Um, while we're winding down, we love, uh, and our listeners love this, the answer to this question because they're all very unique. Uh, Catherine, we'll start with you now. What is the oldest or the most interesting item on your desk or in your desk drawer? Um, this is probably the oldest and the most interesting thing that I have in my desk, but it's a pen that my dad made for me. Um, so he let me pick out the piece of wood and then he turned the wood on his lathe and made it into a pen. Um, and it's it was probably made when I was in middle school. Um, and I just remember feeling so fancy and special when I used it. And so it's stayed with me on my desk ever since. That's wonderful. Does it still work? It does still work. Yep. It still has ink, I think, because I use it so rarely because it's it's like a special occasion pen. <laughs> that's, that's fabulous. We haven't gotten that answer before. Heather, how about you? Um, mine is uh, actually a very small brass kaleidoscope um, that was given to me um, as a gift when I graduated from college, from undergraduate. And it has been in my desk from vet school, grad school, various jobs. Um, and it's really beautiful. My daughter, it's one of her favorite things to pull out of my desk drawer and play with and look through. That's excellent. Thank you so much for sharing. It really allows our listeners too to get to know you both a bit more on a personal note. So thank you. And we appreciate your contribution to our journals and for being here today. Thank you so much for having us. To our listeners, you can read Heather and Catherine's manuscript on our journals website. I'm Sarah Wright with Lisa Fortier. We want to thank each of you for joining us on this episode of the Veterinary Vertex podcast. We love sharing cutting-edge veterinary research with you, and we want to hear from you. Be sure to leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you listen to.